things available for kids because there will be no kids' classes that day as well. On Christmas Day, we have no worship, um, and on New Year's Day, there is worship, and it is at the normal time of 5 p.m. So remember, the Sunday don't show up, All right. Our Christmas offering. So this year, our Christmas offering is really meaningful um, for a couple reasons, but for me, I'm really glad that we have chosen Render Free as a person of color and with most of my friends being particularly women of color. It's a really hard um, out there to get services and access resources for mental health, let alone be a person of color and be a woman of color who's already living in a high-pressure world with messages all around you telling you that you need to be strong, that you're supposed to be strong, that you don't need help, um, and often not giving you services that are accessible to you or that touch you where you're at in your own life um, because a lot of healthcare services and mental health professionals may not be reaching, um, reaching out and really connecting with uh, women of color in the particularities in their own life. And so I've seen this in my friends' lives and I've experienced this as a person of color needing to access mental health services and connection and community in my own life. And so Render Free is an organization that's connecting in particular with women of color, um, creating community, creating opportunities for connection and for spaces um, where they can voice the really um, particular, yeah, the particularities of their life that they might feel alienated from in the rest of their life. And so it's a really important organization doing really important work uh, to, help, uh, to help those women feel a sense of community and space um, to make room for their voices in a world that isn't making room for their voice. So um, now we have a video that will tell you a little bit more about Render Free.
together over here. They're like, I don't know what's going on over here. And then third through fifth graders, you could, you could join us up here too. If you don't, you don't have to stand here. You can st sit in this pew. If you want to be a little less conspicuous, you can take a seat. And you guys can either stand with me. You guys can either stand with me here in the circle, or if you'd like, this isn't a very comfortable floor, but if you'd like to sit on the floor, you could also do that. So we're going we're gonna to tell a little bit of the Christmas story. Does anybody know what's coming up next weekend? Anyone know what's, what's going to happen? Christmas. Duh. Duh. Christmas. Well, I was, reading, um, I was reading the Bible recently, and I was trying to read about the Christmas story. And it was a little confusing because I couldn't find Santa anywhere in the Bible. Do you know that there's no story about Santa in the Bible? No. No. And so I was trying to find out what the real story and the meaning of Christmas is. And so today, I'm going to need your help telling me a little bit of the Christmas story. I forgot a couple names, so you might have to remember some names for me. And you're going to have to yell it really loud so everyone can hear. So you guys, you guys ready to help me tell the Christmas story just a little bit? Okay. Well, there a very long time ago, I know that this was a very long time ago. That's, that's, I know that for sure. It was a very long time ago. And I know that there was a young woman, but I'm, I'm forgetting what, what was Mary! Mary! There's a woman named Mary. And she was getting ready to get married. She, it was Mary. She's going to get married, but not her name, Mary. She's Mary going to get married to... Joseph. Joseph. There's a guy named Joseph. And Joseph was from the town of... Well, they were living in Nazareth. True. They were living in Nazareth, and Joseph was from a place called Bethlehem. Did you know that that means the house of bread? He's from the house of bread. So Joseph is from Bethlehem, which is also called the house of bread. And they were really young. They were really young people, so they didn't have a ton of money. They didn't have a ton of belongings. They weren't very important people. Joseph was, but Joseph's important now, right? But Joseph wasn't very important then. He was not the direct, he was the son of the son of the son of the son of David. A little bit important, but they were young and they didn't have much. And in our, in our world, are people with nothing considered very important people usually? No, but they are important. Unless they're very famous and they lost all of their money. <laughs> Unless you've gone bankrupt. But these people were young at the time. Mary and Joseph were young and they were not very important. But one day Mary was visited by, I'm forgetting, something. An angel. An angel. What's an angel? It's a very bright person with wings. An angel. Is a part of God's army. Some people might say army. Some people might say like the employees or choir or a group of, of beings helping God out. Lil. Also, um, there was a group of people who were very loud and All right. There's many stories of what we have about what is an angel. But they're visited by an angel and they're told God's plan. And God has a plan to do something very new. God's never done this before. No one's ever done this before from the heavens. And so God's choosing to come 
to a place where we're at. God comes down and to be close with us. Crazy, right? Wait, if you were God and you were living way up there and you could do anything that you wanted and you had all of the power in the world, would you want to come to earth? No? You? Yes? Because up in the sky, you're just sitting there with nothing. And so God... He's in heaven. And so God chooses, right? He what? He could do whatever he wants. He doesn't need us, but he chooses us, right? He chooses us. He chooses to come close. So he comes down. He has this plan to come down to be with us. And so they want, God is going to come among the people to live as a person named Jesus. 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 He's going to come as Jesus. Not Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> right? Okay, thank you for correcting my pronunciation. And so he's going to come as Jesus, and Mary consents to this. Mary agrees that she'll be the mother of Jesus. And so she gives her blessing to be the mother of Jesus. God gives Mary, whoa, are you okay, Evan? You going to be okay? All right. Gives her consent, and she becomes the mother of Jesus. But they had to go somewhere. They had to go all the way from Nazareth Bethlehem. to Bethlehem. Because why? His name was King Herod. King Herod. And yes, to collect taxes, he was having a census. He was being mean, and he was killing people. And he was killing babies. And what else was he doing? And so King Herod has this census to register people. They have to walk 90 miles. That's like walking from here to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. It's three marathons. It's like walking from here to Wisconsin. It's like having to sit in the car for two hours. Does anyone have to do that before? No. I've done it. You've done it. You don't like it. Because it's, it's a long way. It's a long way. All right, guys, let's finish the story. But when there, so those who were in power, like you said, King Herod, and there was a Roman emperor named Caesar, and when they heard Jesus was coming, how did they feel? Like a Caesar salad. How did they feel when they heard Jesus was coming? Not good. They felt bleh. They were concerned. Because Jesus was going to be the new king. And when you're a king, you don't want to hear about some other king coming to your territory to take over the kingly duties. And so they hear that Jesus is coming. They're not happy. Because they are scared of losing their power, like you said. They're scared of losing their privilege in the world over all other people. They are scared that if God comes in Jesus, he's going to teach all the people to love the things that the king hates. And he knows that. They had heard and they knew that if God came as Jesus to earth, people would start to see that King Herod and the emperor were actually not as cool as everyone pretended they were. They would not have as much power as they pretended they did. 
they, people would realize they're being really mean and unfair, and so they were worried people would start demanding better treatment, respect, love, and freedom, and they didn't want to give that. Can everybody boo for King Herod? Boo! Boo a little bit louder for Caesar. Boo! And so King Herod sent people to try to find Mary and Joseph so that they could stop Jesus from being born. But we know that they didn't stop them. Jesus was born. And does anyone know what kind of place Jesus was born in? In a manger. He definitely wasn't born in the fanciest place. He was not born in the fanciest place. He was born in a barn. One at a time, one at a time. In a manger. Many stories, so we don't know the exact kind of place. Technically be in a cave. That's actually what I was about to say, is that our Christmas songs, our statue models and everything show this wonderful little stable above a beautiful sky. But actually, Jesus was born in a dark, dirty basement full of animals. Does that sound like the place a king would be born? No. Ew. So, hold on. Can... One person, tell me, why do you think that God decided to come as a baby with no power to a young, a poor couple born in a dark and dirty and a smelly basement? It'd be hard to find them, and because they wouldn't want to lower themselves enough to actually come close to Jesus. That's an idea, Lil. Um, because, um, because he would make them more humble. Amazing. If you didn't hear that, Lil said that God comes to us in Jesus in a dark, dirty place to a couple that is insignificant and does not mean much to the world so that God could be humble before us. And so this Christmas, it's important to remember, guys, that God came to us not as a flashy, sparkly, fancy gift. He just came for love. That is actually exactly where I was going. God came for love. God came to show us that love wins over big parades, expensive statues, sparkling gold that the empire liked. And they, he came so that love could win over the hate of others. All right? I couldn't find Santa anywhere in the Bible, but I found all of that. How does that sound? Good? All right, you guys are going to go talk about love, this love that came to overcome all of the things of hate. You're going to go talk about love with your classes. And so preschool K through 2 can line up at that door. And then if you are in third, fourth, or fifth, you're going to line up with Stefano at the back. Oh, let's talk about that in the classroom.
I'm on. Ooh, am I on? I am really on. Hey, can everyone hear me now? Now I'm clicking. Oh, this is going to be bad. Let's get it together. It is what we're c considering the third week of Advent. We're in a season Advent is that Advent is, thank you, that's awesome. Advent is not just a season on the Christian calendar, but Advent is a state of being. And I don't know about you, but Advent looks different for me from year to year. Some years it's really good. And I'm really present to that idea of reflection and anticipation and expectation that we can have during the Advent season. But one of the things that I find, no matter what my Advent looks like, is kind of a longing. Like a longing for something more, something meaningful. Maybe something meaningful in the busyness of our days, or maybe the monotony of our days. Or a longing for reality to be just a little less terrible. It's a time to hold hope that things might be made right. But in this season of waiting, we have a chance. We have a chance to pause, to be intentional, to slow down just a little bit. And if we do that, we might just get a glimpse of light. A glimpse of light that's God-given. And in that glimpse of light, what we get to experience is the hope of Christmas, a lavish love that comes from God. Matt talked about that last week. And a joy that gives us life. And Kate Bowler talks about this idea that joy is oxygen. Watch this. <laughs> My favorite part of that is, can we do it again? Before she's even done on that yellow slide at the state fair. But what I love about that is how easy it is to capture that kind of joy, to grasp it, to hold it when we're young. But why does it seem like as we get a bit older and life gets a little bit busier and a lot of hard life happens, that it's harder to grasp that joy, to hang on to that joy? I think that there's a lot more to joy than our culture teaches us than we often expect it to be. And the question becomes, what is joy? And how do we find it? You know, the worldview, and this is the dictionary definition of joy, is that it's an emotion evoked by well-being, success, good fortune, or the prospect of possessing something that you desire. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sit quite right with me. That feels a little temporal. But there's another definition in the dictionary that's maybe a little closer to home, to what I say is truth. And it's this, joy is a source. It's a source or cause of delight. And that's what we're talking about tonight in Advent. We're talking about true joy, an Advent kind of joy. And it's different. It has to do with source, not circumstance. 
So I got to thinking about um, Advent and the Advent wreath, and unfortunately, this isn't going to work for me tonight. I didn't do my homework, but I'm going to, you will know what I mean in just a second. But I don't know about you all, but I didn't grow up with much of an Advent season tradition. We didn't do much at home. We didn't do a lot at the church that I grew up in. But this idea that Advent means arrival or coming. And Advent started around the 4th or 5th century. And it was actually a time of fasting and prayer for new Christians. And then over the years, that sort of uh, stretched into the whole month of December. And then we have the Advent wreath. And the Advent wreath that appeared in Germany in like 38, 1938, and it was a Lutheran pastor, and he was working at a mission with children, and he wanted to teach them and help them prepare for the coming of Jesus. So he got this big wheel off of a cart, and in that wheel he put um, 20 red candles around the edge and four big white ones in the middle, and they'd light those red ones during the week, and then on, the, on Sundays they'd light the white ones. But over the years, as you guys know, that tradition has continued to evolve. And we, here at the table, always celebrate Advent. Now, my, um, I should have brought my own candle because, unbeknownst to me, Bethlehem doesn't um, go by the typical traditional candles. Because here's the deal about the candles. Most typically, and traditions do look different, um, there are three purple or blue candles, and those are for the first, second, and fourth weeks of Advent. And those represent some of the things that we've already talked about. It rep the first one represents hope, and the second one, faith, and the fourth one, peace. And that color, blue or purple, those all symbolize different things. They symbolize royalty and repentance, um, the love of, the fulfilled love of the coming Messiah. But the third candle, the one that I was hoping would be up there today but isn't, is pink. It's typically like a rose color, a blush color, a pink. And the reason for that is in liturgy, pink or rose color symbolizes joy. And I think what I love, love, love about that, and, and Kate Fowler says it so beautifully in her devotional as she talks about this pink candle. How do you want to see it? There you go. But pink, the color of blushes and pleasure, the color of sheer delight in fulfilling the pur purpose of which it was made. The sheer delight in fulfilling the purpose for which it, which it was made. The sheer delight we have when we step into who we are created to be, into the places that we're called to be. And that is the story of Mary. And it's a story that's often used on this third Sunday in Advent, this Sunday that is often in the church called, like, the joy Sunday. But here's the interesting thing. The joy of the Lord, the joy of, a Mary, of Mary, isn't what is typically all packaged up for us and what we think of as joy at this time of the year. It is a joy that doesn't escape reality. It's a joy that embraces it. We're in the book of Luke, and Luke uses the word joy more than any of the any other of the gospel writers and we're in the story of mary i think most of us know a lot about mary a poor unwed teenager living in an occupied land mary had hard life she knew hardship she knew what it meant to be on the underside of power to be the marginalized but it's to this young girl 
that an angel appears. And here we are in Luke 1, starting in 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she is who was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled in me. And then the angel left her. Mary was troubled by his words. She wondered, like, what kind of greeting would this be? And what's interesting is that the angel's very first words to Mary are actually, Rejoice! The Lord is with you. Because as you look through the translations, yep, often we've translated into greetings, but more often it's translated into hail. Some of the translations actually say rejoice, but hail is equivalent to joy be with you. Or rejoice, thou. Joy be with you, Mary. The Lord is with you. But even with that greeting, Mary's hesitant. She doesn't embrace his words with some giddy joyfulness. She actually instead poses a question. How can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel answers her question. And he tells her that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. And that all things are possible with God. So Mary gives her yes. But this is what I think is interesting. It's a weighty and a somber yes. It's a yes that begs the question. It's a kind of yes that begs the question, how come the church honors Mary, someone who's so serious on this Sunday, meant to celebrate joy? Now, we could think, well, possibly it's because in about 10 verses-ish, take or give or take a few, she's going to break in out into this song, right? That song that many of us know as Mary's song or the Magnificat. And that certainly would be considered a song of rejoicing. Here it is. My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And his mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their house, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. 
Now, yes, she's rejoicing in this song of hers. But even in this, Mary hasn't lost her edge. Because in that very same song, she acknowledges power used and misused. She sings about hunger and need and God's faithfulness. This faithfulness among her people. Israel, who's had this mournful history. And this is what's so important. Is that Mary's joy that we see in this song... It's a joy that doesn't escape reality, but it actually embraces reality. It's a joy that asks questions, that names injustices, that calls attention to those outsiders. It's a joy that understands the price of pain, and it says yes anyway. Mary's joy certainly isn't the emotion evoked by um, success or good fortune or by the prospect of possessing something we all know that's not the joy that God has for us what Mary understands is that joy is connected to the source it's about love the love our creator, the love that God has for us. It's about the love that we have for one another. I think Jesus is pretty clear about it. In John 15, Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. I almost feel like most of our sermons boil down to that. It's always about love. Remain in my love and love one another. That's where we find the joy, friends. Um, we've been talking about that on Mondays. We've been meeting at the Giovanelli's house, not just Lynn's, Lynn and Gino's house. And this past Monday, we were talking uh, about joy. And there must have been 12, 14 of us there, I bet. And we asked the question, where have you experienced? Tell us a time that you've experienced joy. And everybody had a different story. Some were tender and touching. Some were funny. Everybody had a story. But what was at the foundation of every one of those stories? The joy that was experienced was about connection, was about love. Everyone talked about it was being together here and being together there and being together here and the love of God and the love of one another. Two things that we can never separate. They work together in tandem. And it's in those spaces that we experience a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. Joy that is a gift from God. I was thinking long and hard about joy because I feel like there are a lot of moments that I sort of forget to look for it. That I get caught in my life and my busyness. And I was thinking about a lot of the easy moments of joy. 
they do come from my grandkids. It's those moments, right, that you walk into preschool to pick them up and someone comes running at you and, you know, jumps into your arms and you're here and there is joy. Or you're walking home from preschool and a little one needs to stop at every yard and take a handful of snow and eat and it takes you 25 minutes to get from school to my house, which is a block and a half away. That is joy. It is those moments that give us oxygen. But as I thought more deeply about joy, I realized that joy was often in those really hard moments and those hard situations and those holy times. It wasn't about the circumstances because the circumstances kind of suck, to be honest. But it was about this connection, this holiness, about being in this space that you knew that something beyond me and us and whoever I was with was weaving our lives together, weaving them together for something beyond anything we could ever understand. But we knew it was good and we knew it was right and we were filled with awe and that was joy. That's the kind of joy that God calls us to. It's a rightness. It's about relationship that stretches far beyond any of us. I heard someone say once that joy is inner spaciousness, the expansiveness within your heart and soul. It's a melding of the spirit with God's spirit within you. I'm always struck by when you actually look at something like this, how simple it seems on the surface. And then I realize how hard it is to grasp it and live it and the mystery in it that's always hard to get my head around. But what I know to be true, and we know it from the story about Mary, it's the Holy Spirit works. And it happens when we pause and when we look and when we say yes, when sometimes it's hard to say yes, but we say it anyway. And it happens when we embrace who we are and when we step into the spaces and the places and the relationships the moments that we're called to regardless of circumstances it's then that we experience rightness it's then that we experience a joy that comes from God Kate Bowler says this about joy here and now at the intersection of all that has gone before and all that is yet to come, I would like to say to you that there is something for you for which you were made. It is the thing that seems to make you forget yourself, even as you become more and more alive in it. Something rises up in you, and you get an inkling that maybe, just maybe, this is why you were born. It is the oxygen that makes it possible to keep going. This is joy. You are fortified by it because you are a being that was made to metabolize joy. I love that. We're in the midst of our lives because we all know that there's so much good and there's so much hard and there's uncertainty and fear and short days and dark days. There is a reminder in this Advent season that leads us to joy. Because joy is oxygen. 
we find opportunities for joy. It makes hard things not only possible, it makes it sustainable. And while, and you know I always have to say it because there's always a both and, while it is the spirit at work, joy is a choice too on our part. Joy involves letting go, letting go of your burdens, letting go of everything that's cluttering your head, clearing your schedule so that you might take a few moments to just pause. Because it's in that space. It's in that space of stillness. It's in that space of being with people you love. It's in that space where God resides. And if your schedule's too full, if your mind's too cluttered, it will crowd out joy. So the question for us as we continue on in this Advent season is what is the thing that you'll think or speak or make or simply be today that will give you joy? What is that thing? Whatever your story is, whatever your season is, it is yours. And in the doing and the being fully present to the joy in front of each of us, then that we experience the light of God, the light that shines from the manger. Would you please pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we pray that in this season of Advent, you will make the very act of waiting holy. And as we anticipate Christ's birth together, may we experience the stubborn hope of Christmas, the joy in the midst of sorrow, and a love that knows no bounds transcended peace amid a world on fire. And as Kate Bowler said, Jesus can't be born soon enough. Amen. Thanks, Debbie. Um, we are transitioning now to the part of our service where um, we're going to take communion together. Um, so I try to link Jesus to the topic of the sermon. And as Debbie was talking, the verse that kept coming to me was, um, John looked it up for me, it's in Hebrews. I didn't know that off the top of my head. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And I was thinking about how joy can lead us into tough places. And I think that that was never more true than when Jesus was preparing for the end of his life. He was, you know, sitting around a table with his friends, these people that he had discipled and um, poured into and made community with. And also, one of them was the one who was going to betray him. And he endured that, um, knowing what was on the other side. And it was joy that was the motivation. It was the, it was the joy of the connection with one another and also connection with his father that, that led Jesus to sit around that table with his friends and um, to take the bread and to break it and give thanks and say uh, to his friends, this is my body and it's broken for you. And in the same way, he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant and it's also shed for you. Whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, remember, remember me until I come again. So we do that as a sort of recentering practice every Sunday night when we gather. Um, we root ourselves in this communion practice, this remembering who we are as God's people, regardless of what you are facing in your week. Um, 
and we choose joy together and, and center ourselves on the person of Jesus. So in just a moment, as the music plays, we'll invite you to come forward and um, you can take a piece of the bread. It's all gluten-free. You can dip it into the cup and hear those words, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Um, would you stand? And together we're going to say the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 